Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents, and welcome to the 2021 Summer Vacation Series. We're getting to know comics from around the world who performed on our Isolation Comedy online show in 2020. I'm your host, Valerie, and sometime co-host, Ms. Purrington, will join us if she damn well pleases. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy, including those passing through, those we get to know because they do our online shows, etc., etc. You can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at ComedyWham, on our ComedyWham Facebook page, or our YouTube channel. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, live shows, and an events page for live shows in Austin and Houston. If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click Submit a Show to complete the short survey. Now let's get back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene. Never mind, the world comedy scene so amazing. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today, we are talking to somebody who is based in Los Angeles. He got on everyone's radar for his TED Talk, TEDx Talk, Creating a More Fulfilling Lifestyle Through Humor. He's been touring across the country when not filming one thing or another. And speaking of, uh, he was on season seven of Last Comic Standing, Standing. He is on season two of Sex Life. He was on Worst Week Ever. And he's got a, a role in the upcoming film VHS. And it was really fun after I got to know him to see him perform on uh, I Can See Your Voice, one of the many, many projects with uh, Ken Jong. Uh, he takes his comedy so seriously, he even got an advanced degree from Harvard. He is one of our favorite comics on our 2020 Isolation Comedy Show. And now, Comedy Wham presents our guest, Eric Escobar. Hello! Hi. I am here. I can't believe you did that whole amazing intro without even a sip of water. Jeez Louise, <laughs> you are killing it. Um, boy, oh boy. I I was like, this is a this is a beautiful intro. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I I uh, despite having I, this podcast has been going for five years now, five plus years, and uh, to this day, I still read every single word. I don't commit anything to memory because I'm too old for that. <laughs> you know what, Valerie? That's about how I would explain my act. So uh, I'm the same way. Come and see an Eric Escobar show. I will be reading out five notebooks because uh, I hate making eye contact with all y'all. Just kidding. Oh, I love oh no, you're you're so you're you're so warm and friendly, and I think that was one of the things that was so charming about getting to meet you last last summer. Is not only were you just so so great on the show, but in our you know so called green room, uh, you were just you were just so uh, friendly with everyone. Not the the, the comics we booked were are generally mean comics, but you, I, I don't know. I just, there was a warm and fuzzy feeling um, <laughs> that you, you emanate. I really appreciate that. I feel <laughs> one of those things where, um, you know, kind of coming up in comedy, you're in a lot of green rooms. Uh, some green rooms are rooms, some green rooms are alleys. Some are, <laughs> um, you know, just the chair on the side and everyone just yeah. shares it. But you really get to know a lot of really amazing, talented, wonderful, you know, artists and comics and, 
it's always so great when you're in that room and you're chatting and you're having a good time and you're talking about the best place to eat on the road or, you know, working the club before. And I always felt so like sad whenever you saw the guy or the girl in the corner, just kind of like not talking to anyone, thinking they're better than everyone. Uh-huh. And I, I think being like, whenever I hang out with their comics or I'm in a virtual show or a real show, we're here doing this because we love this because it's yeah. fun. Let's keep it fun. Let's not be sour. Let's not be salty. You know, this is, I could have a regular job, but no, I work for hot dogs and chicken fingers. Why? Because I love it. So let's, let's keep the fun. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, uh, I could tell you, you're going to be a, a ball of energy to talk to. So <laughs> let's, uh, let me throw at you my official icebreaker question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, it is one word to describe your past. Ooh, varied? <laughs> <laughs> varied. Um, I, I, I was doing some research on your background, and I, I noticed that Disney comes up a lot. Yes. Uh, so I am curious to know about the Disney connection, but really let me first start by finding out what role did comedy play in your life other than, and this is where I prove that I've done my homework, other than your dad telling that joke at every single chance he meets a new person? <laughs> That's so weird because as soon as you said that question, I was like, oh, well, I got this you know, great little my dad. I'm sure I'm going to say this. This is exactly what I'm going to say. And then you threw me for a loop, Val. You threw me for a loop. <laughs> I do my homework. <laughs> I think... Um, you know, I, it, it wasn't necessarily just my experience, but I think all of us, you know, when we're kids, when we're teenagers, we're awkward. We don't really have an identity. We don't really, you know, no matter how cool you are in middle school or junior high or high school, we all feel like the outcast. And I yeah. think the thing that brings us together and the thing that makes us not feel like the outcast and feel that community and feel that love and feel that, um, that support from, you know, those around us is, uh, is being on that same page. And really kind of like being like, I'm a certain way, you're a certain way. Oh, cool. We like both get it. And I think that's where comedy thrives. Um, a good joke is funny because you're going to laugh harder at a good joke when you really get it. You know what I mean? When you really get that kind of like, I get what you're saying. Oh, I, I have that experience. You're joking about this teacher or this thing. And I totally get what you mean. And I think for me, comedy was a way to be more social and be less introverted. <laughs> I um, was playing football in high school and then typical California story, it started raining. So of course, football practice was canceled. Um, <laughs> actually, and I ended up just like kind of wandering around because my dad was going to pick me up and I uh, stumbled upon the improv team and it just looked so fun and so exciting. And I ended up quitting football the next day to join the improv team. Oh my gosh. Fun energy it gave me and the fun, the, just the fun they were having. And um, I always remember just the sense of community and the sense of um, kind of like group mind that everyone felt when they were just telling jokes to one another, making stuff up on the spot. And it really kind of burned a special hole into my heart and into my brain. And I always wanted to have that type of energy always around me. So was this an improv group in your high school or outside of the school? It was in school. So okay. um, our football field was field kind of way in the back. And then to get there, you had to walk through basically the, uh, the breezeways of the buildings of where the school was. And they were actually having an improv workshop in the middle of two of the breezeways. So I kind of just like looked from the side, oh, what's going on here, joined up. And um, 
it's it's one of those things where I feel like no matter who you are in the world, it's it's really important that you recognize that you're a value and you're an amazing person. You can do great things. Um, no matter how insecure you may be or self-conscious you may be, you're a great human. And I feel I learned that I was a fun human and I could do cool things through doing improv and doing theater and doing performance because it showed I could create something, provide something and make people laugh or make people smile. And um, it's a feeling I think everyone should have everyone in the whole world yeah I, i'm still stunned that you would just completely walk away from football for something that's creative i, I mean that's just I, i'm stunned that's how how yeah. fortunate that, <laughs> very very lucky yeah. that rained and that california doesn't like children <laughs> in the rain thank you <laughs> governor New um, to be honest, I feel like it's one of those things where I was a big kid. I was a real, real big kid. And when you're a tall kid, everyone asks you, oh, do you play basketball? Because mm. of course you play basketball because you're tall. And I got that as a big kid. Because as a big kid, everyone's like, oh, you must play football. You must, you know, do sports. You must do wrestling or something. Yeah. So I really well, not because I loved it, but because I think everyone told me I should do it. And then at the end of the day, I was like, I don't know if I really like this, but I do love this yes and zip zap zop thing. Let's see what this is all about. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, like, I mean, I'm just, I'm just putting it back in my words, the word, your words that it, it allowed you to be seen because everybody, yes. you know, said, Oh, big guy, big, tall guy sports. And this, you know, I, you know, I, I was, I was in debate, but we always hung out with drama kids. And so we, we knew what the drama kids were like, and they were all just, they brought their own energy to everything that they did. And it was like, well, that's just, that's just this culture that we we've created. So that allows you to, you were very diplomatic and you said brought this energy. It wasn't, they were weird. It wasn't, they were strange, but they brought an energy. I really appreciate that. Valerie. <laughs> I am nothing if not diplomatic about what I say. <laughs> the paid off. I can tell you that much. <laughs> So what year of uh, high school were you in when you made this, this jump into the creative performance arts? This had to have been probably, I think it was my freshman, it was right after, my, at the end of my freshman year. So pretty okay. early. Played a lot of uh, flag football in junior high. Um, and then yeah, I just ended up doing regular football in high school. And it was fun. It was cool. But it was something that I wasn't excited about. It was something mm -hmm. you just did. Yeah. And to you are excited about just completely changes your world and you don't want to let go of it. Yeah. So I never let go. And yeah. now I'm doing podcasts out of my garage. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Very great. So what happens at the end of high school for you? I assume you stuck with the improv group for the rest of your, your high school years. So I did a lot of improv in high school. And then um, I started going to college. I spent my first two years at uh, Cal State LA and it was great. And I was originally doing a double major in theater and social work. Okay. I didn't know how I wanted to do it, but I knew I wanted to combine the two. I wanted mm -hmm. to do some type of creative-based, performance-based thing because I loved it. But somehow combine that with, you know, serving people who are underserved or at risk. And um, I ended up interning with a really great nonprofit here in Los Angeles called the Unusual Suspects Theater Company. Started working with them in college, and they actually provided um, improv writing and theater workshops to kids in juvenile hall. 
And it was a life-changing experience. It is a life. I still work with them, you know, from time to time. And it was so great to have that. And it really allowed me to do improv in a different way. Um, do improv as in service, opposed to just for like my own, like, I just like doing this. Everybody yeah. mentioned it. Um, between that, uh, doing improv with them, doing performance with them, and um, in college being on some improv teams, um, I always knew that like, this is something that was always going to be part of my life in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a little shout out to Tom Clark, an amazing comedian in the LA area. Uh, Tom Clark, who was my high school improv coach, actually did a stand-up seminar or a stand-up workshop right when I was graduating college. And the timing worked out. I had some extra money. I was like, let me do this. Stand-up seems super fun. And um, through his guidance and his mentorship, and just, he, he's one of the funniest comics I know. He's so great. Um, but through his class, I was able to build a good five minutes. And I took that five minutes to some open mics, you know, when I was about 21, 20 years old. And um, I really found that even though I loved improv and that was home, stand-up was where I wanted to go. And stand-up is where I wanted to be. And I kind of just made that transition in my early 20s and never looked back. What was it about stand-up that, that was, was so uh, attractive to you? I think it is, there. It, you know what? It's harder. Um, a lot of improvisers huh. for that. And I'd be like, well, actually we have nothing. And it's like, yeah, but the audience also knows you have nothing. So you're on the same playing field. Uh-huh. I feel <laughs> it probably was something that um, is so fun. And there's so much I still have to learn. There's so much I still want to discover. There's things I learn every day with improv. Um, but it's something that I feel was, it, it's a team sport. You know what I mean? It's very much a team sport and you're helping each other out. But stand-up is all you. Yeah. Um, I feel like improv is almost kind of like between a one and a 10. If you have a bad improv night, feels like a one. If you have a great improv night, feels like a 10. You're on cloud nine. Stand-up is negative a thousand <laughs> to a thousand. <laughs> when you bomb as a comic by yourself, you're not sleeping that night. You're eating irregularly. The, and the crazy thing is you have an improv show, something tanks. Oh, well, let's move on. I could get an applause break for every single joke and a standing ovation at the end of my set. And I will still walk away from that stage being like that one setup didn't work as well as I thought, you know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it, you microanalyze it and that kind of just um, the solo aspect of it, I think is really attractive uh-huh. and just the aim of it is really attractive. And I, yeah. I just, I, I, I fell in love with it and it's great. And on top of that, I think, career-wise there's a lot of great improvisers out there who are making a good living but I feel like when I was looking at my future it was like well where how, how can I sustain a career how can I build a career and you know have a solid income I think I can do it more with stand-up personally than I can with improv yeah. so if I'm gonna do thing, let me do the thing where I can pay one third of my rent mm-hmm. you're you're also doing all of this in Los Angeles which is one of the meccas of comedy in the in the in the country uh, did you when you when you started stand up did you have an awareness of what a big comedy scene los angeles was and is yes and i actually i was very fortunate to realize that early on because mm. i feel in la and this is somewhat of a generalization i wouldn't apply this to every comic or every booker every room but I feel since there are so many bookers, so many people who run mics, so many gatekeepers, so many club owners, so many producers of shows that everyone, or, or a lot of people, I should say, build an amazing five. 
they have a great five, they might even have a great seven or a great 10, but you rarely can get opportunities where you can do more than seven to 10 minutes in LA. Hmm. So everyone has this great five, but no one can do a 10 or a 15. And when you build material, you're almost afraid to at these mics. And it's almost kind of scary and daunting because there's three bookers in the crowd. And I don't want to try out material that can bomb because every show there's someone who might give me an opportunity. So I started feeling this a lot when I started out in LA and I love LA. It's a great scene, but I actually found myself going more to orange County, which is about, you know, depending where you are 30 minutes to an hour away, Disneyland territory, Anaheim, Garden Grove, Buena Park. And there they actually had um, more opportunities to do more stage time. And since all the big bookers were in LA, not a lot of them came out to OC. So you had more of like a playful, let me try something, let me do something new. Um, Every Saturday, every Saturday for about two, three years, I would do Tickles Comedy Club. Tickles Comedy (laughs) Club was a room that started at 7 p.m., run by a man named Johnny Flowers, real name, great gentleman, funny guy, I love him. And it was in the garage of a sober living house. Oh, wow. It was no audience, or maybe the one or two people who lived in the house who came through, one of them had a baby, and would always bring her baby to this show. (laughs) It was a red curtain with a one-inch platform as your stage, and the mic was plugged into a 10-watt guitar amp. And that's where you did comedy every Saturday. I would do tickles. Then I would leave that. And also you couldn't enter in through the front. You only could enter in through the back, which was a very thing. But 10, 15 minutes is 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. I would do something called the 202 room where you could do 20 minute sets, 15 minute sets. The only thing was the 202 room ran comedy after a 12 step meeting where everyone in the room was in recovery. The host would open up with about 45, maybe even an hour, do 20 minutes in between each comic. And the best thing about it was everyone there pretty much lived in a sober living house with a curfew. So everyone left an hour into the show. And if you were third or fourth, you're literally telling jokes to an empty room that is definitely designed as a 12-step meeting vibe, you know, perfect for comedy. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it was wild because, you know, I would drive every Saturday to do those two rooms, but it was because I could do 10, 15 minutes, maybe yeah. even 20. Where in LA, I could do three, four mics a night, but they would be three to five minutes each. Yeah. Uh, do you know Daniel Eaches? I We just talked today. I oh. really... He called me last night, sent him a text this morning. Daniel is one of those gentlemen who I feel like I have a lot of friends in comedy, but I probably, Daniel and I will call each other from the road the most. Oh, like if, he's on, I call, if I'm on a long drive, I'll give him a call. I love Daniel. We just can't say enough about him. Yeah. That was uh, the reason I brought him up is because I interviewed him recently. His episode is out and I found his, he, he encapsulated what you, you created a very vivid image of what it's like LA versus uh, Orange County and why you do the two different areas. And the way he encapsulated it is you go to OC for time. You go to LA to network. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And he's working best of both worlds because I live in Gardena, California. He lives in Long Beach, California. Mm-hmm. We're probably about 10 minutes from another, but we're in kind of a cool spot because either from Long Beach or Gardena, 
it's about 30 minutes to Orange County or 30 minutes to Hollywood. Yeah. So you live in downtown LA, it's going to take you an hour to get down to Orange County. But for me and Daniel, it's kind of cool because we're right in the middle. So we can kind of, yeah. you know, worlds. <laughs> um, okay. So let's, let's go back to that time when you were first uh, tr- starting stand-up. And you're figuring out the the environment of performing in in LA, and then figuring out oh I can get more time uh, in in the in the other the exurbs suburbs I don't know the you know outside of of, of LA they call it you have a lot of TV and acting credits. When does that bug hit you? I mean, you're a football, introverted football player. You go uh, head on into improv and then you go head on into stand-up. And, you know, you're, again, you're in LA, a mecca of, of acting, uh, television and movies. What pushed you into that realm? Um, I want to share a quick story that was told to me. Um, how true is it? I don't know. It might be, a, um, it might be just a comics tale. But um, there's an incredible comedian named uh, Jimmy Brogan. He does a lot of great crowd work. I believe uh, he still opens for Leno a lot. Um, he's working tonight's show. Jimmy Brogan's wonderful. One of the, it, a lot of comics will do shows, and I might like you know go outside, hang out, or go grab a drink. When Jimmy's on stage, I always watch him because it's always a different set. It's always all crowd work. But anyways, um, Jimmy, I want to say, I think this was maybe the 70s. He was starring and I believe writing a show called Out of the Blue. And Out of the Blue did a Mork and Mindy crossover. They did a Happy Days crossover. So this was a pretty big deal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a pretty popular show if you're doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. I guess someone once asked him like, oh, how do you like having your own sitcom on TV? And his answer was, it's okay. I'm only doing it because with this credit, I can get on the nine o'clock instead of the 11 o'clock at the improv. And that's a better time slot because the audience is a little better. I love that because that's almost kind of how I view stand up. You know what I mean? I love that. I think being on set's incredible. Like I, I was at Universal Studios today because just even taking the tram ride is so like, fun. wow, they make movies here, they make TV shows here. Um, there's a magic about it, but at the end of the day, I really just want to do acting to create a bigger buzz about myself to get more Instagram followers so I can do a show and get more people out to the clubs <laughs> and then they'll bring me back in in 18 months to two years to do the same thing, hopefully as a headliner instead of a feature. Like it's it's crazy because I could like I'll do a BuzzFeed thing or like even I can see your voice or the TED talk and those were all incredible, amazing experiences. I'm so grateful for yeah. when the back the whole time was like, all right, I hope I get some uh, some social media followers out of this and some followers so I can hopefully, you know, get more people out to a show or have a better credit. So a club will bump me up to, you know, do another headlining weekend or like that's kind of the that that's always in the back of my mind whenever I do any acting thing. So it's yeah. more can do more comedy. It's <laughs> so funny. OK, so since since you are paying attention to that and, and, and how your Instagram follower account changes, which thing have you gotten the, the biggest bump from? I don't oh, know. Oh, pretty lord. <laughs> so the TED Talk was great. I definitely got a bump from that. But then um, when I did I Can See Your Voice, they actually put my real name on there and said I did a TED Talk on the episode. Uh-huh. So TED Talk helped, and then I Can See Your Voice helped. And then I think the I Can See Your Voice viewers 
checked me out on the TED Talk. So they didn't follow me from I Can See Your Voice. They followed me from the TED Talk. So they're like, oh, here's more of a connection with this guy. Yeah. Um, so TV-wise, uh, that definitely, I think, helps a lot. Anytime I do a BuzzFeed thing or a Jubilee thing, I might get a little bit of a bump. But um, it's weird because it's, it's, it really is kind of a long game because I never got, you know, like, 5,000 followers in a night or anything. Um, it's very incremental because whenever I go to, you know, wherever I go on the road, when I'm at my merch table, um, I sell lighters, I sell Eric Escobar coffee, they have my handle on it. So if you buy one of those, you usually, you know, follow me on Instagram. But um, I also give out stickers for free. Or if you just want to do a donation, like here's a buck or whatever, oh, take a free sticker, whatever it is that has my Instagram as well. And I'm never getting a giant like 3,000 person overnight follow yeah but every show i might get 10 to 15 followers figure four shows five shows six shows that weekend might turn into 80 to 100 followers if yeah. i'm on the road you pretty much three weeks out of the month every week out of the month in you know three months i'll probably see above upwards of 400 people following me Mostly because, you know, they just check me out at shows, five followers here, 10 followers here. Someone buys a lighter, leaves it at their friend's house. Their friend's like, who's this guy? Looks me up, follows me. Thank you, random stoner. And, um, <laughs> it's all very just like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. I, 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 I kicked off the intro saying that uh, when I was doing my research, Disney came up a lot. What, what is the deal with you and Disney? I love it. Have you been to the park, <laughs> Disneyland, Disney World? I've been to Disneyland. Disneyland. What was your favorite ride? You remember? Uh, I don't know that I took a ride when I went to Disneyland, to be honest. Really? Yeah, I think Did it was a work. I think it was a work thing. And I like, you know, it was kind of like a here's a reward for all your hard work. So it was a bunch of coworkers, and I think I was too intimidated. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> But I, mean, I hope you still felt the magic. I hope you still loved it. Had a great time walking yeah. down Main. Um, so when I was growing up, my cousin worked at Disneyland, so she had free passes. You know, you can ah. go to pass a year, whatever. So um, every year for my birthday, my gift for my parents is they would hit up my cousin, and we would all go to Disneyland. So it was kind of this very nostalgic thing in my childhood that mm -hmm. I, I I still feel like I felt when I was five, six years old on my birthday going yeah. there. Um, my first job I ever had was at Disneyland. Uh, when I was 16, I went to a job fair, ended up selling churros and popcorn for a whole summer. It was great. Um, <clears throat> ended up going back probably about five, four or five years ago. Uh, just for a couple months, I worked on um, a ride called Toy Story Mania in oh. California. And I just, I'm obsessed with Disney. I cool. love it. Fun. Um, sure, all corporations can be a little evil, but <laughs> I look past the evil because they create this immersive, beautiful, fun experience where I don't care if you're five or a hundred years old, there's something beefy there. There's something yeah. that where you can go with people, have a great time. And I think just through working there and being a part, I've just become this super Disney nerd. I have Disney tattoos. Oh my I, gosh. I love it. I just love it. So I actually just... um just got back from Orlando. I had some gigs in, or St. Cloud close to Orlando. And I ended up going to Universal Orlando, which is an amazing park. I love Islands Adventure, love Universal, but I didn't do Disney. And on the flight home, I kind of feel like I cheated on Disney a little oh, bit. Oh no. 
spend the weekend with Orlando. She would tell the <laughs> partner, I don't know what I did there. But um, you know what? It was definitely, I think a ticket to Orlando is probably one eighth of a bucket of popcorn at Disneyland. So, you know, on my budget, I will do Orlando, but I miss yeah. you, Disney. <laughs> well, you can bring a, a bouquet of flowers to Disneyland to, you know, to uh, make up for it. <laughs> Walt, sorry, Walt. I still love you. You're still my, my number one. <laughs> I have been to, to Universal in Orlando and, and yeah, those parks, they, I mean, it is amazing what, what these big companies pull off to, to appeal to both kids and adults. I, like I, I was prepared to hate it. And yeah. I just absolutely love the experience. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work that they, they've put into. And yes, they are, there's an evil component, but uh, there's certainly a lot of people working really hard to make it a, appeal to kids and, and adults. I'm on the road so much that when I'm home, just uh, let me lay in bed, watch <laughs> TV, read a book. I don't want to go outside. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'll, friends i'll do karaoke i'll go outside for karaoke but i really i'm kind of like just this this homebody who like doesn't like to do anything yeah if universal and disney especially in florida let's talk about florida specifically if you can make me wake up at 6 a.m to get their rope drop to sweat for 12 hours just sweat in the florida humidity and i will buy your six dollar waters i will buy your $22 $22 churros, I I will suffer, suffer for these parks and be smiling the whole time and just have a blast. And I won't yeah. even think about how drenched my fourth shirt of the day. Yeah. They, I will put up whatever you want me to do in that Florida weather because <laughs> I really are at Expedition Everest. Let's go. It's ridiculous. It really is. Okay. We've gotten way, way, way off, off track here. Um, all right. So a part of, of me asking about the Disney thing is like so, I I watched your your TEDx talk, and and it's for anybody that um, that is listening to this, definitely check it out. It's it's creating a more fulfilling lifestyle through humor, and uh, I mean, I don't feel like it's a terrible spoiler, but you kind of start off as a hype man, you know, an opener, and it is so high energy, and uh, when I saw you know the multiple Disney references, I'm like. This, this guy should be on, a, you know, a Disney show or a Nickelodeon show. So there's just that fun, high energy. Um, Disney so, and Nickelodeon, if you're listening to this podcast, you yeah. got the salary and that should be the only one that matters. So come on, send me that, yeah. that development. If only I had that power. Can I tell a quick story about the hype man thing, though? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to say... I could be wrong, but I want to say the TED Talk was March 14. I feel like March 14 was the day we shot it. Mm-hmm. And it was in um, Helena, Montana. It was great. Shout out to, uh, Hel- uh, I was going to say shout out to Helena, but shout out to Carroll College and uh, Steven Cedar for putting it on. It was amazing. But um, I was like, this is going to be brilliant. I'm going to come out as my own hype man. It's going to be super funny because I'll come out as my own hype guy, hype him up, take out the stuff. I'll do the TED Talk change of vibe but i think it'll really break up the crowd and i think it'll be it'll look good on camera mm-hmm. the day of the ted talk covid numbers finally hit montana and they refund the whole audience we oh. had like a 100 person crowd 
every single person had to get a refund because things were in flux. It was March. We were so like unsure what was going on. Yeah. And like, okay, you know what? That's, that's, that's fine. That's whatever. I'm still going to have a great time. I uh, prep myself to be this hype man thing. I go on stage and I realize I'm a hype man for no audience. <gasps> I didn't even think about this hype man bit not working because there's no one to hype. It was literally two cameramen oh. who were both 18 years old, probably freshmen, majoring in film, and then the guy in the back. And it was, I, I had to commit to the bit. As soon as I walked out, though, I was like, this is going to make no sense. And I kind of love it. But oh, God, geez, Louise. Wow. No, I, you did such a great job. I, you, you mentioned there was something in, in, in your, your presentation that made me think, because I, I saw it was March 2020, didn't put the pieces together, but then you made a, a, a little reference to, to COVID, but it yes. didn't, didn't dawn on me that because of COVID hitting, you were very likely speaking to no one. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, great job on committing <laughs> to the no, bit. <laughs> no problem. I would just a little shout out. Uh, don't, if, if you ever want to be a hype man or a hype woman or a hype person for a TV show, an audience is definitely necessary. Uh, yeah, definitely. it helps. Make sure an audience is there because yeah. uh, if not, it's a. You can tell by the way I'm sweating. I'm kind of freaking out. I'm glad I wore sunglasses for the first two minutes. <laughs> yeah, get get that out of your system. All those nerves. Oh my goodness. Um, okay, so back to stand up comedy. You yes. have you have performed for colleges, so you you can maybe share some uh, some of that perspective about being a a comic that does the college work and and what your experience is uh with that it's always interesting to hear people's takes on, on for sure. college work i would definitely love to speak on it in terms of um comics who might want to break into the college market um there's great great things out there pre-covid i don't know what they're doing now called naca and mm-hmm. um apca there's another one but they're great showcases where we can get colleges. but i think to think about is is it's a job you're you're making money to you know pay your bills and pay your career and there are going to be moments where it's going to be super fun there are going to be moments where it is work and i think when it comes to colleges and corporates you can still have a great time and it's gonna be super fun but you want to make your boss happy you don't want to angry so um if you really want to work colleges Think about writing clean. Try to work clean as much as you like that dirty joke or as much as you like, you know, whatever it is, that offensive bit. Yeah. Go love, go for it in a dive bar, but um, really try to work clean because that's what a lot of colleges like. And I think another thing that I think is really, really important is a lot of people are afraid to talk about money and they're afraid to ask for money. They're like, hmm. the most heartbreaking thing that has ever happened to me in my career is it wasn't, it, I think it was like a corporate gig. And um, it was like, it wasn't even a corporate gig. It was like a, it was like a small club or something. And they were like, what's your rate? And I think I was like, oh, like for something like this, like 500, does 500 work? And they're like, oh my God, we would have given you like a thousand. Sure. 500 works. Let's just do 500. It's money. And then you're like, I could have quoted double, triple, four times as much. And it's something to keep in mind when you approach colleges, because colleges do have money. Don't don't be scared of really kind of, you know, 
putting out a big number. It's always great to be like, what your, what's your budget? Because when you ask what your budget is and then they give you a number, you could be like, well, could you do, you know, like a little bit more or do that plus a hotel or that plus a couple meals? Or mm-hmm. I always like to ask, you know, they can throw in a sweatshirt. I like college sweatshirts a lot. <laughs> so, um, or even if, you know, it's low, you can say like, hey, I usually do it this way. Let's kind of shark tank it to a good middle. Um, I really like doing colleges, but it is, it, it does feel like more work because you have to work clean. Um, you have to be very conscious of what you're saying. And, um, you know, there's a lot of like money negotiations that doesn't happen as much in like clubs or bars. You know what I mean? Usually there's a set rate at a bar, set rate at a club. Colleges, it can vary from, you know, seven, $800 on the very, very low end for a small school to some people get 10K for an hour of work. Oh, wow. Hour of work. Wow. Last year. It was horrible. I was, COVID sucked. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely a thing that is, um, it's very exciting. It's very fun, but definitely, like I said earlier, just like, don't be scared of the money and uh, you want to make them happy. So, you know, work clean. Don't make anyone mad because they'll hit you with weird where it's like, Hey, you can't talk about, um, I don't know, Laffy Taffy's (laughs) because Someone had a Laffy Taffy allergic reaction last year and it's a hot subject. And you're like, Oh my gosh. Happy, but that's so strange. Just, just make them happy. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Is this the kind of thing you said? There's a lot of negotiation over the the pay. Is this the kind of thing that uh, they want to negotiate directly with you, or at that point, are you work? You have a manager who's who's doing those negotiations for you? Because oh my god, oh, I would not want to go through that. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I would love representation with a comedy management company. Um, I'm currently represented um, with a manager, mostly for like film TV stuff. Hmm. And uh, I just signed with another agency doing across the board. We're still working things out. But prior to that, I was just with a commercial agent, just doing commercials. But to be honest, I would say 98% of the work I've gotten in TV and film has been stuff that I either sought out or found or submitted to or auditioned for myself um only a couple of things have gotten only reps have only gotten me a few things huh. um i do all of my comedy stuff by myself and i would love that representation on the comedy side but if it's anything like the film side it's kind of like well i would still be working i wouldn't stop emailing clubs i wouldn't stop yeah. emailing colleagues stop emailing corporates but if you could hook it up somewhere, that'd be great. If, you know, I'm on the road, can be out of Sunday somewhere. Um, I, it, I would love to have management, but I also love the relationships and connections that I make just by myself. Yeah. Because if, if an agent or a manager got me a gig at XYZ Club, then I kind of show up, say hi, do my thing, say thank you, leave. <laughs> Where if I'm emailing a club for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. And after 10 years of communication, they finally give me that feature weekend. There's a little bit more like, you know what I mean? They yeah. said worked for it. And, right. you know, we can look around. I have can do. So as much as I want to be reps, I kind of like, I kind of like being on my own, but I also would like more work. It's a balance. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Last year during uh, COVID, you you did our online show. Did you do other shows or did you, what did, how did you fill your time? Comedy Wham was definitely my favorite. Oh, you're so sweet. I, um, a lot of people were hesitant toward Zoom shows, virtual yeah. shows in the beginning. 
Because I think a lot of people thought COVID was going to be done in three weeks. Remember when we thought COVID was gone in June? Remember that Uh rumor? Oh, the summer heat. After that summer heat hits, oh, yeah, it burns away. That's how science works. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I went very, very hard. It did not feel like being on stage in front of an audience, but it still was, in my opinion, was fun. There were bad shows, just like live shows. There were great shows that Comedy Wham that felt amazing and I love. Um, I feel like a lot of people did the Zoom shows in their region, which is super cool. Um, I saw a lot of LA Zoom shows, shows that that went on online Mm -hmm. and then when that kind of dried up because i don't want to ask in front of the spot you know when i just did their show three weeks ago four weeks ago i started branching out to california and then um places on the road where i would work they would be like oh we're doing virtual now there were a couple of clubs i was booked at for weekends that were like we'll pay you the same rate we'll just do a virtual show and i'm like that's even better wow i can like do it in my underwear yeah um (laughs) so i basically started doing anything i could find virtually all throughout the u.s that turned into finding some things in Canada um, and that turned into find some stuff in, I think actually I was going to say Europe because I did some shows in Berlin, did some shows in um, well, South Africa was kind of like my biggest place, which is weird. Wow. Cause I end up doing South African virtual shows. And now if I ever go to South Africa, I have like fans, which is yeah. weird. It's super, I don't, we're going to go to South Africa, but I want to go yeah. because I have people who would definitely come out (laughs) (laughs) that's so cool (laughs) well canada just uh opened the border Uh, so oh yuck yucks i'm coming for you (laughs) comedy how you doing other club insert please book me um (laughs) what i loved about it is we were so bored during covid and it was so tough for a lot of us to just kind of get through it and fill our time and i was able to wake up at 8 a.m do a show in Malaysia at 10 a.m., do a show in South Africa around two, three o'clock, maybe do something, you know, that's on the East Coast. And then, you know, by eight o'clock, nine o'clock, maybe do a fourth, fifth set from the West Coast. And it was weird, beautiful thing where like COVID was kind of fun because I was doing shows all day. Yeah. And there was, there was like work that was happening. Like, the scariest thing about, I think, comedy is how am I going to sustain this and how am I going to make this happen? And I think it is a scary thought, but what brings me a lot of calm and like chillness is the work is out there. You just got to find it. It's, it's, it's a scary, if you, if you look for it, it'll happen. And sometimes you just got to do a couple, I don't know, British Zoom shows to put together the pieces. Yeah. Uh. When did you decide that you were ready? Because it seems like you're you're touring pretty heavy right now. Yes. When did you decide to to ramp fully back up into uh, live shows and then now touring? Um, even to this day, um, I know there are a lot of people who are there are people who are on both sides. Um, I'm vaccinated. Um, I, I wear my masks kind of wherever I go on planes, you know, to clubs. Um, unless I'm on stage, um, still wear gloves. Uh, I pack a lot and then wash everything when I'm there. Um, I'm trying to be cautious and I feel yeah. a lot better about it in February when I got vaccinated, but I started hitting the road. Um, I want to say September, November of last year. I think it's closer to September um, when things were opening. So like Ohio was a little more open. Florida was a little more open. 
Um, Vegas was sort of half and half weirdly open. Um, I was literally just every day I was looking up the numbers in all the states and seeing if clubs and entertainment and music could be open or if they weren't, then I would focus on the states and look up all the clubs and all the venues in the states that were open. And I would just aggressively email. Um, mm -hmm. Even pre-COVID, I was probably sending out close, I don't know, maybe 100 to say maybe 120 emails a month um, between cold calls and kind of just follow-ups like, hey, what's up? You know, just wanted to see if anything was going on. And I would say um, I probably wasn't emailing that heavy, but I was still probably sending out 60-ish, 50-ish emails a month to any spot that I felt was open. And I was following up with all these clubs, trying to see what whatever was open. And um, it was it was crazy because I thought that it would be more like I would work this club than I would come home. But there was actually a little bit of freedom to be like, all right, like this bar is doing comedy on Thursday. This uh, Moose Lodge is doing comedy on Wednesday. Oh, if I just hit up this bar who does karaoke and trivia and see if they want to do a random comedy night Sunday, I can actually put together a tour in some of these places. And I'm oh. so grateful for every venue that, you know, had me and every audience member that came out. And it was a little weird because, you know, a lot of these shows were at 20% capacity, half capacity, but it was, it was a niche that needed to be scratched. And yeah. we tried to stay safe, socially distanced. And whether it was for, you know, a hundred people or 10 socially distanced people, it felt great. It yeah. felt really, really good. And then I got COVID and I died and it was horrible, but then I came back to life. So thank <laughs> you. You pulled a Jon Snow. <laughs> I pulled the John Snow. <laughs> Did you really get COVID, Eric? I got it. I think I got it on New Year's Eve. Oof. Early January. And the annoying thing is, I was, it, it, it destroyed me. It destroyed me. It was horrible. Yeah. And I self-quarantined uh, in this, you know, apartment that my cousin had that was empty. But right around the same time, um, my parents got it. I don't know if they gave it to me or if I gave it to them, something happened, but they're both in their 60s, 70s, totally fine. Totally. No way. They, they, they had it. They tested it. You know, they were great. And I was like, why I'm young and healthy for the most part. How come this sucks? <laughs> it does suck. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, good for them. Good for them. <laughs> I'm uh, happy. It, I would rather that's the opposite. A while, mostly because I couldn't feel anything, but it was it was weird. Huh. Wow. Well, I, well, I'm glad you you came back from it for sure. I am and too. And you too. got the vaccination, and you're you're being safe, so that's good. Good thing because we're recording, right. and this variant is going crazy, and uh, uh, Austin is at its like highest stage level. And so there's things that are starting to shut down for art. We, we maintain a, a, an Austin comedy events calendar. And the first time today, somebody wrote me and said, well, the venue that I have this show uh, booked for is shutting down for the month because of being in Jeez. the stage five. So It'll be interesting because Austin was very aggressive about reopening because um, we have, you know, our, our nice conservative governor who likes to just say, eh, who cares? Just open everything up. Don't no masks. You know, whatever. So um, so Austin. 
kind of went aggressive and there, there are people that kind of swooped in and said, well, we're going to open venues. And I mean, it's been gangbusters here. So I wonder if it's going to pull back at all. That's the fascinating thing about doing a decent amount of road work in the past, you know, like six to nine months, because mm-hmm. everywhere I go, everywhere's treating it differently. Yeah. Like I thought California was rough. DC is on lockdown, lockdown. Oh. DC is very strict. It's still a lot of like only to go outdoor dining stuff. I think there's even a curfew, maybe even place. Wow. Um, I love New York and New York always had this beautiful electricity about it. Cause there's so much hustle and excitement. You go there and it's a ghost town. Yeah. Like no, one, but it's very strange, but then you go to Arizona or um, Texas or, you know, even parts of Oregon. And you're like, Whoa, it's like, you guys didn't even, feel you, you, you want the, nothing changed for you yeah like, you no. I'm like oh um <laughs> vegas was crazy because deep into the pandemic when things were really bad they were given comedians and music and entertainers such a hard time the shows we could do we had to be like 25 feet away from the audience super limited capacity very very tough to do comedy for a quick minute in vegas but everyone could sit around a craps table smoking cigarettes handling the same <laughs> Like, wait, why are you, I can do this comedy show is pretty safe. You're, everyone's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not only everyone smoking around the craft table. I was, you know, like, okay, do your thing. But it's everyone from everywhere. So it's everyone right? coming, getting it, and then flying back to like Nebraska and Washington and Canada. And where it was very strange. It was yeah. a very strange feel. Yeah. Yeah, uh, strange times we live in. Uh, well, Eric, we're going to start winding down. And let's wind um, down. Huh? Oh, let's wind it down. Okay. We've been winding up pretty hard. We so, have. We have. We... <laughs> it's 7 a.m. We started yesterday. It's great. Ah. Um, Okay, so I part of the summer vacation series is getting your perspective on your comedy scene. We have had a few people from LA, so our, our listeners have gotten flavors of, of LA, and you know a lot of people are familiar with with LA anyway. But give us uh, the the take on LA from you, and also tell us of some comics that we should be paying attention to from LA. Oh, wow. Good question. I like, <laughs> um, yowie, wowie. Okay. The comedy scene in LA, I feel if anything is varied, it is very varied right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there is a transition right now where when we were, we were pretty much doing only like outdoor park mics, like pop-ups and now some indoor stuff is happening. Some mics are coming back. Some clubs are coming back. And, um, it's kind of this, exciting time to see not only um the transition from just you know a couple park mics a week to now probably an open mic and a couple shows every week to this very tangible new class and crew of comedy Mm. Uh, i think a lot of people during the pandemic who kept writing kept doing virtual shows it's an outdoor shows they gained some cred and they gained some um they had some clout so you're seeing new comics come up and um it's, it's, it's very, very exciting to see that happen. I, uh, I'm a big fan, big fan. Um, in terms of comics in the area, oh, geez, Louise, I almost wished, oh, I wish I had a list because I feel like, <laughs> here's the thing, 
I'm going to name some people and they're going to be like, cool, thanks. And I'm going to not name some people and forget about them. And they're going to be the ones who are going to remember. The people I shout out, they're going to be like, oh, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. But the people who I don't say anything to, they're going to hate me for the rest of the planet. Um, <laughs> let's start it off with Daniel Eaches, incredible comedian, super funny guy. Check him out. Dan Eaches, super wonderful. Another shout out to uh, Tom Clark and Stephanie Clark. Uh, Tom and Stephanie are married. They are both super hilarious, super funny, really, really great comics. Love them. Um, another comic, Savannah Manhattan. Uh, Savannah Manhattan is a comic that I toured with, I think, right before the pandemic. It was me, Savannah, and uh, another comic named Tony Laviotis. Um, and it was super fun. And uh, Savannah is great. She's a wonderful lady. Go support her. Um, oh, geez. Oh, why am I? I like so many <laughs> people are in my brain. Um, Matthew, uh, Mike Mazzalotti. Mike Mazzalotti is a wonderful comic. He's doing great moves here in LA now. Love him. I think he's an awesome guy. Um, oh, oh, no. This is not supposed to be traumatic for you, Eric. <laughs> I just want to give everyone love. I just want <laughs> so many people all the love. Um, can I do a couple outside of LA people that I think people should check out? Sure. Awesome. Out of the Northwest, Monica Nevy, amazing comic. Check out Monica Nevy. Another one, um, Brent Lowry. I spent a lot of time in the Northwest, so I, I want to give these guys a shout out. Brent Lowry's incredible. Um, <laughs> we, we just went on, on the road uh, and we were with uh, <laughs> another comic named Leroy, who's absolutely amazing. Ty Boyce is an amazing producer. Love Ty Boyce. Carly is another um, Northwest guy who uh, I want to give some shine to. Soul of a Productions is amazing. And then over in Vegas, uh, send, sending some love to Kelly Lee Williams. He's absolutely incredible. And then let's come back to LA. Uh, oh, just shouting a bunch out. Uh, John Yabis, um, Alyssa Poteet, uh, Jay Aquino, Ron Jassal, absolutely amazing. Kevin Camia, absolutely um, amazing. Lynn Sun. Lynn Sun is super, super funny. I love Lynn a lot. Um, I, I'm going to send you a list and we'll okay. put it. All of these people are amazing. Check out them all. Support live comedy. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, Eric, you're so wonderful. Um, I hate that this is starting to wrap up. I really do. Uh, your energy could, you know, light fires. It's so awesome. Um, I'm glad that might be a bad thing but you know yeah, what that's we'll true every year we'll find a way <laughs> yes uh i have a an official closing question yeah are you, are you ready i'm excited i'm ready val let's do it one word to describe your future Ooh. exponential Ooh, hitting my my math love button <laughs> <laughs> I'm a mathematician by trade, so you just made me very happy. <laughs> um, you and my partner would get along great. She's definitely the math science person of the duo. I major in theater, and um, I like to draw sometimes and finger paint. That's, I, that's <laughs> those are all my life skills. Um, all my life skills. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think that's fantastic. From from your your started with improv to getting into stand up and acting, college touring. Yeah, I I I see it. I'm I'm excited to follow you. I hope that Austin is on your radar for a yep. visit soon because I will 
I will hunt you down and go see a show. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I can't wait to so glad COVID brought us together, but I can't wait for things to settle down a little bit, be good, be safe, and then we can join up together in person for some shows. Yes. Val, I love you a lot. Comedy Wham, I love you a lot. This is honor thank you so so much <laughs> absolutely uh that is a wrap on comedy where presents eric escobar eric tell us where we can find you on social media and tell us about upcoming projects you want us to check out most definitely across the board i am eric escobar on social media that is eric with a k so e-r-i-k-e-s-c-o-b-a-r we talked about my ted talk i'm really really proud of it so definitely check that out I have a lot of fun things in the works that I'm not allowed to talk about just yet, TV film-wise, but definitely hitting the road soon. I'm going to Royal Oak, Michigan. Um, that's going to be a super, super fun show. Heading to Vegas soon, um, doing a John Hilder's uh, amazing show. Also check out John Hilder. Going to the Northwest, doing Chinook Winds Casino in Lincoln City. Um, a lot of fun road work coming up. I would love to see any of you there. Tell me you found out about it on Comedy Wham, and I will buy you a water with lemon <laughs> nicely done <laughs> budget conscious <laughs> well we hope you've enjoyed learning about how eric got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as much as i have this has been comedy where presents eric escobar i'm valerie and that's been funny thank you eric thank you that was so fun